Um, now I'd like to ask Darren Wilshire, who is from World DAB, who will give us some sense of what's happening in the rest of the world. There we go. Excellent. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for joining us for the DAB day here at Radio Days Africa. Um, great to see so many people in the room. My name's Darren Wilshire. I'm the communications manager at World DAB. Um, and for the next 20 minutes or so, I'm going to try and cover everything you need to know about DAB digital radio from around the world, which is quite a lot to get through. Um, so I'm going to look at country status, what's happening in different countries with rollouts, uh, receivers, what's happening with automotive, um, and then more importantly, what's driving some of these trends um, and what we've actually learned and what we can share with you today. So the headlines. 41 countries now have DAB services on air around the world, which means that over 470 million people can now receive DAB digital radio services. And on top of that, there are well over 68 million DAB receivers now sold. So to the previous comments about the importance of having lots of receivers available, it's well over 68 million, and that includes LineFit Automotive. And it's been a busy 12 months for digital radio. There's been, a, there's been an awful lot happening, um, and I'll try and walk you through some of the key developments now. So looking at the global picture, um, the first thing to say is that this is more than just a European story now. Um, and what we're seeing is as countries move from the digitization of TV, they're now turning their attention to radio and looking at the digitization of radio services. In Asia Pacific, Australia continues to lead the way, um, and we'll be hearing later from Joan Warner of Commercial Radio Australia um, on why broadcasters there have embraced the standard. Elsewhere in Asia Pacific, we're expecting Thailand to start trials at some point this year, um, and actually later this month, we're working, we're, we have a workshop taking place in Kuala Lumpur in partnership with the Asia Pacific Broadcasting Union um, and the Arab States Broadcasting Union looking at all things DAB. So there's a lot happening. And then in Africa and the Middle East. Um, so firstly, it was great to hear from Ikasa and from Linet Sadiba on what's happening in the Southern African region. The Middle East as well, there's been a lot happening. Um, the Arab States Broadcasting Union recommends DAB Plus for digitization of radio. Um, it was great to hear interest in Uganda is strong. We're seeing uh, trials in Qatar with 10 services on air. Um, and then, yeah. South Africa, I think it's an exciting time and uh, we'll be watching the, the results of the next consultation phase very closely. And then on to Europe. So the one thing to say in Europe is that DAB is firmly established now as the core future platform for radio across the continent. Um, and a lot's changed in the last 10 years. So just 10 years ago, there were four countries that had services on air. So it's the UK, Norway, Denmark and Switzerland. And then in 2011, Germany launched national services, which kick-started a sort of digital radio wave, if you will, to steal a phrase from our president that he gets used quite a lot. Um, and we've since, since, since seen services on air in Italy and the Netherlands, um, where Jackie Beerhorst from Digital Radio NL will be talking more about later. And what this did was it created a DAB backbone through the heart of Europe. And since then, based on that, we've seen expansion to the West in Belgium and France, and actually, just a few weeks ago, the French regulator started the first part of its accelerated rollout plan with launch of DAB Plus services in the city of Lille and around the north of the country. And then to the east, we're seeing trials on air in most of Eastern Europe now. Uh, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovenia, Slovakia, Ukraine, and more besides. So there's a lot happening there. And then, of course, the big story from the last 12 months is that Norway has switched off national FM services a process that completed in December last year. 
Um, and after lunch today, we'll be hearing from Jörn Jensen of the NRK, Norway's public broadcaster, who will be telling us a lot more about why they actually did this, how the process occurred, and some of the lessons they've learned. And it's not just Norway, though. So Switzerland will start its own digital switchover from 2020. And initially, this was planned to complete by around 2024. But just a few weeks ago, their digital migration group actually recommended bringing this forward to around 2021. Um, in Italy, the region in the north of the country is already starting to switch off FM services and we're seeing lots of other countries in Europe starting to put together plans and timelines, even way into the future, for their own potential switchovers. And then receivers. So, as we mentioned before, receivers are an incredibly important part of the digitization of radio. Um, there's some outside there today, and actually, I will grab, I forgot to bring it with me. Ah. There we go. So this one, which is one of my favorite ones that I've brought with me, and we actually have some DAB services on air that we've set up thanks to an ETI player. And this one, it's wind up, it's solar powered, it's rugged, you can drop it on the floor, although I won't. Um, and there are now receivers for, yeah, from as little as around 250 rand, 18 US dollars. And as more and more countries start rolling out digital radio services, this is a price that continues to come down month by month. And as you can see outside for yourself, there are receivers in every shape, size, budget, use case from rugged units for construction sites, for units to take in the shower or the bath with you, to having the kitchen on the, in the living room, part of hi-fi units, you name it, there's probably a digital radio that does the job. And in automotive, all major automotive brands are now fitting DAB Plus in new vehicles, which is an incredibly important part of the successful rollout of digital radio, is getting drivers converted over. And actually, in advanced markets, the vast majority of cars now come with digital radio fitted as standard, so drivers don't even need to ask for this. So in Norway, 98%, UK, 90%, Switzerland, 85%. But it's not just these three countries, Australia is on 47%, and there are lots of others close behind. And part of what we do as World DAB is we work very closely with the automotive sector. Um, so we have an automotive working group that arranges regular meetings, that works closely on helping automotive brands not just define what the current generation of radios look like, but the next generation. Um, and we've actually carried out some research that was the very first of its kind, that actually was the first time anyone had asked drivers what do you want from a radio? How, does it, how do you expect a radio to work? When you get in the car, can you use the radio? And this research, we've been taking around meeting with major automotive brands, and this is already influencing their next generation of radios. Um, and if anyone wants to find out more about that or to get involved, um, please come and chat to me at some point. Of course, the other development in terms of what's happening with receivers and radio generally is hybrid radio. So this is combining broadcast DAB digital radio to deliver the audio, but then an IP connection to add extra data, to add interactivity, whether that's things like album artwork and metadata, whether that's competitions, advertising, bringing more through and helping improve the experience of radio for the listeners. And we're seeing more and more receivers take advantage of this, but more importantly, more and more broadcasters start to use this as well. And then my final point on receivers uh, is that there's the legislation work that's taking place in Europe at the minute. Um, and this is currently going through discussions within the European Parliament. And this would mandate that all new receivers have digital capability. And this is an incredibly important part of ensuring a quick rollout of digital radio, is making sure that new radios are ready for the future and have digital capability. 
And this isn't just happening at a European level. So at the start of this year in Italy, there was a law passed that means from 2020, all new radio receivers, including those in a car, must have digital capability. Um, and it's also will apply in France once they hit 20% 20, 20 population coverage. Um, and the German government is very supportive of this as well. So that's what's happening, which probably begs a very good question. Why? Why are, people do why are people doing this? All these people have budgets to worry about, shareholders to answer to. Why are they doing this? Well, the short answer is that radio needs DAB+. And admittedly, I work for World DAB, so I'm probably obliged to tell you this, but there are reasons that this is happening. And as I think we've touched on earlier, the way we listen to audio is changing. So firstly, there's a lot more devices now. So dominating headlines in the tech space are voice control, so Amazon Alexa, Google Home, which I believe from rumors might be out in South Africa later this year, possibly early next. Apple's HomePod as well. Whole new devices that have never existed before. And then when you look at the cars, so this is a screen grab from the new Audi A8, which is the first car of its kind to have hybrid digital radio that uses DAB, 4G, and FM to deliver audio. But drivers now expect, when they get into their new cars, they expect a similar experience as they do from their smartphones or their smart devices or their tablets. And there's a lot more space in the dashboard to do clever things. And that, so it's therefore important that radio can, can maintain its place within that and continue to innovate. And then, of course, there's the new services, Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, take your pick. So against all of this competition, radio needs to innovate. But then the challenge with this, as we've heard already, is that FM spectrum's full. And this is where DAB Plus can make a big difference. And just looking at, so this is just a snapshot of some of the countries with DAB digital radio services on air. The amount of extra stations and the extra capacity that DAB gives you means that you can launch new services, whether that's targeting specific languages, whether that's brand extensions for particular types of music, pop-up stations around things like the World Cup or the Olympics. There's more and more space there. And as we'll hear later on from Norway, where they just had a handful of national stations on FM, they now have 30 on DAB. And some of those national stations have become the most popular services that they just couldn't do before because there wasn't the space. And actually, what we've seen is that this works. So in the UK, for example, 19 million people listen to services that you cannot get on analog which I think is a great testament to the value that people see in these new services. They like services that target their specific interest, whether that's a sport, a music, or in their own language. Um, and actually later on, um, we're hearing from Piers Collins from the Wireless Group, one of the UK's commercial broadcast groups on the work that they've been doing and the, the things that they've been using digital radio for. So a common question we get at conferences, as perfectly demonstrated earlier today, is, well, that's great, but why can't we just use mobile? Uh, 4G could probably do it, and if not, 5G is only just around the corner. Um, and technically, there's no reason at all why we couldn't do radio over mobile. It's technically possible. The problem is that it would require a massive amount of investment from someone, and there's no, there's no business case for it. But also, there are a number of significant advantages of broadcast radio that mobile and IP could just never compete with. So firstly, there's the cost of coverage. So mobile coverage, it's within the UK particularly, if you even head down motorways, your mobile coverage will drop out. Um, and it's not necessarily reliable. And to deliver a perfect experience for radio would require a massive amount in the, of investment in a mobile network. The cost of listening for the audience, radio is free to air and listeners love that about it. But if it's suddenly over IP, then you have to pay for data or perhaps another subscription on top. 
And what we've seen is that listeners don't want to pay for that. But then more importantly, radio is reliable. Um, and what we've seen around the world when different incidents occur is that the mobile networks either fall over because there's no capacity or the governments might shut them down for security reasons and people turn to their radio to find out what's going on. And that's an incredibly important role that radio plays. Um, and as I briefly mentioned earlier, there's a lot of research that's been done on this topic that we've pulled together on the World DAB website um, that I'd encourage everyone to go and have a look at, whether that's lots of research from our members um, and also we've spoken to some experts within the 5G space to get a bit more info from them. And actually, just a quick look at some of this research. So this is from the European Broadcast Union. Uh, it was a really significant piece of work they did last year that compared the cost of, of delivering radio over FM, DAB and mobile. And the first thing they found was that FM is by far and away the most expensive. DAB is a lot cheaper than that because you can get so many more services on air. And with IP, it changes dramatically depending on the size of your audience. So particularly for broadcasters with a large audience, the cost can easily grow to well above that of DAB, even comparable to FM. Um, and it's a very detailed piece of work that I won't get into because I don't have the time, but it's available again on EBU or World DAB. And a common concern at this point is, well, okay, so if we're doing DAB and FM, then the area of concern is, of course, doing both, which is a very valid one. And what we've seen is a number of different ways that broadcasters, governments, and regulators can help offset or mitigate some of this cost. One being launching new services and growing them as we've seen already, and actually growing your audience and opening up new revenue streams. But there are a number of other ways as well, looking at regulatory incentives, infrastructure sharing, uh, or even government contribution. And we've got different case studies from various markets that have used these different approaches um, that, again, I don't have time to go into here, but we'll be very happy to share with you, share with you afterwards. So that's what's been happening, but what have we learned from this all? Uh, what can we share with you today that might help you going forward? Well, the keys to success um, are what we call the five Cs. So content, coverage, cars, consumer devices, and communication, all of which underpinned by collaboration across industry. And one of the things we'll be hearing from several of our international speakers later on um, is actually how this has worked in practice. So taking coverage as an example, so this is Germany, a map of Germany. They started with just 27 transmitters focusing on cities and major automotive routes. And what we'd always say is you don't need to worry about having an entire country covered to launch digital radio services from the off. Focus on the major population centers. And it's an approach that Australia took as well that we'll be hearing more from Joan on that. And since then, Germany over time has increased this. They've now got over 100 transmitters on air with 97% population coverage um, and coverage across most of the automotive routes there now. On content, broadcasters collaborate on technology, compete on content. Um, and this is an example from the UK, a station called Absolute Radio that broadcasts on digital and analog. Um, they launched a spin-off service exclusive to digital called Absolute 80s that focuses purely on 80s music, if that's, the, if that's your sort of thing. And that went really well. So then they launched Absolute 90s, and that went really well. And then they've launched all these other spin-offs, and their audience is up 136% in seven years. So again, to go back to my previous point about the audience and the listeners like these new services, that's, that's the proof right there. Um, Cars, consumer devices, I think we've probably covered already. Um, so communications and branding is an incredibly important part of a rollout of digital radio, telling listeners why DAB is different to FM, what they can expect, what these new services are, what they can get from that. 
And a big part of this, of course, is branding. So this logo up here on screen might look a bit new because this is the new international DAB Plus logo that very soon will be available from World DAB, free to use for any stakeholders who want to use it, supported by a full branding toolkit and suite to go with it. And this is already being used in Germany, uh, the Netherlands, France, Belgium and Austria. And it's our recommendation as World DAB now that the old DAB logo that you might have seen in the past is now phased out and replaced by this, which I think you'll hopefully agree looks a lot sexier and a lot nicer um, and a lot more modern. Um, and then on collaboration, now we've heard it mentioned before and we'll hear it again from, from our other speakers later on, and it's an incredibly important part of the successful rollout of digital radio. Um, the Netherlands is a great example of the work that's taken place there. And the stages that we've seen work so far is, you know, the first stage is the policy commitment and the regulatory frameworks. Second, collaborate on technology, compete on content. And thirdly, the importance of a joint industry body supported by all of the broadcasters, public and commercial, to develop this strategy and the marketing plans and communicate to the listeners. So I just want to finally cover a little bit on who on earth we are and what we're doing here um, for those who don't know World DAB. So we are the global industry forum for DAB Digital Radio. Um, we have over 100 members covering 29 different countries around the world um, and our members represent every different aspect you could imagine from the radio industry from automotive manufacturers, receivers, broadcasters, regulators, equipment suppliers, chip manufacturers and absolutely everyone in between. And I think one of the most important things we do is we bring people together to share best practice and to collaborate. And again, to go back to the importance of that collaboration point, we bring people together to share the lessons they've learned from around the world, to discuss the problems they might be having, to help share what other people have done to overcome them. Um, we've got working groups, the automotive one I mentioned earlier that works very closely with that industry on developing the next generation of their radios. Um, our technical committee looks at defining DAB at a standard, working with Etsy on updates to that. Um, we've got groups focused on the regulation spectrum, on marketing, and lots more besides. Um, and again, if you'd like to find out any more about the work we do, um, please come and bother me afterwards. So, uh, to conclude, DAB Plus is required to secure the future of radio, and it's making significant progress around the world thanks to this cross-industry collaboration that we see. Um, and of course, throughout all of this, World DAB is here to help and support and share as much information as we can to help out at every step of the way. Thank you. What's that? Around the world in 20 minutes. I know, yeah, that was a lot to get through. <laughs> 19 even, there we go. <laughs> um, yes, some questions. Let me give you this. No, thanks. So in terms of the technology and uh, open source, open radio, uh, open digital radio, what are you seeing there? How is uh, that impacting on uh, the broader things that are happening in that space? Sorry, when you say open, open source, source, open radio technologies, open dev platforms, I mean, there's plenty of those that people are producing uh, equipment yeah. based on open standards and open source alternatives to more commercial stuff. 
We're seeing a little bit of interest in it. I think it's, it's certainly early days so far. Um, like you said, there is some examples of it happening so far. DAB is an open standard um, and would encourage everyone to get involved in helping shape the future of that by all means. I think, yeah, the majority of the progress we've seen is in the more, I guess, yeah, the com from a receiver perspective, the commercially available receivers, like the ones we have outside. Um, but we are certainly seeing more interest in, the, in open source and what we can do with that. Anyone else? <clears throat> yes, Andrew. Sure, by all means. Uh, Darren, thanks. Very enlightening, I think. Um, you heard from Mikasa earlier that uh, next week there are oral submissions on mm -hmm. the digital broadcasting position paper, or discussion paper at least. Yeah. Um, there are going to be 20 organizations represented. Um, many of them are commercial private broadcasters who are fairly tentative to support a DAB plus mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those reasons are because of some of the advantages because of the, the, the lower barrier to entry for new broadcasters mm -hmm. I think the commercials see a um, see more competition in, uh, for our advertising revenue um, and for our listenership so um, your would your message you know because these guys are all going to make uh, oral representations next mm -hmm. week is your message to say Go uh, support DAB. Go onto DAB plus create new channels so that you, you know, you 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 bring on board new listeners because you you instead of putting your FM product onto DAB plus, you are putting an alternative like your Absolute yeah. Radio 80s. Yeah, that's exactly it, and I think that's that's bore out by what we see around the world because it's it is a common concern from broadcasters. They look at the extra space on DAB and think, well, hang on, why am I going to encourage all of this extra competition? But what we've seen in the UK is a great example from Absolute Radio, um, but lots of others as well, is that it's the commercial, it's the existing commercial players that are the big winners, so long as they move early on to DAB. And actually, if you look at UK commercial broadcasting as a whole over the last few years, they've grown their overall audience as a result of the extra, extra brands that they've launched on digital radio. Um, the other side to that question, and it might be something that Joan will touch on in her presentation, is the role that the regulator can play in helping them onto DAB. Um, and actually, yeah, have you got a mic for Joan just to jump in on how Australia have done that? I won't, I won't talk in depth about how we did it because I'll cover it mm. in my... Um, uh, uh, sorry, I'm losing my language. I won't be able to speak at all <laughs> after morning tea. Um, the other issue, it's not only about attracting new listeners. It is about attracting new listeners. It's about keeping your current listeners listening longer to your content. So, um, and I'll give you an example of one of our big FM stations who's doing that by extending their brand and they're getting people that are listening longer to their content, whereas they may have listened to the morning show and thought, oh, that's great, but I don't like the next show, so I'm turning off. Um, they now know they can go to another sub-channel of um, that particular network and here's something that they really want to listen to. So it's not about, it, it is about new listeners, but it's also about keeping your listeners listening as long as you can to whatever content you can provide to them. Thanks. Yeah, Zoli? Uh, <clears throat> thanks, Darren. J just one question. Um, I hear Joan says uh, in terms of TSL, radio has increased. But in terms of market share, how has it uh, developed in terms of uh, getting the digital uh, platform. Secondly, just to add to what uh, Andrew said uh, previously, 
do you, you representing DAB Plus, but do you foresee a situation where uh, the mobile telecom, telecoms can actually compete in terms of te technology with, with digital radio? Good questions. So to take the first one on the overall share of overall share of listening, I think it obviously varies quite a lot by market. Um, and one of the reasons that Norway switched over um, was actually that they saw they needed to go digital to make sure that radio remained relevant and could continue to compete. Um, I think overall radio's share of voice is possibly going down a little bit because there's extra competition, but compared to a lot of existing media, including TV, newspapers and elsewhere, radio is actually remains incredibly strong. Um, and again, to go back to the point I made earlier, what we've seen is broadcasters being able to grow their overall audience because they've launched new services. And I think, again, to sort of go back to the point that Joan just made, people find, you know, they might like, like listening to one particular show, but then they might switch off. But actually, if they think, you know what, I really love 60s music, if there's a station they can go to or a sport, talk sports station or news or a station in their language, that keeps them listening a lot longer. Um, and I think that's one of the the sort of big advantages of that. Um, and then to your other question on the mobile side of things, I think mobile is obviously a very different technology in terms of how it works because it's, it's a two-way communication. It's from transmitter to the device and back again. And I think the cost side is a significant barrier to them being able to deliver radio. But I think from a society perspective, radio's reliability and the fact that it's something that people can rely on that they don't have to pay for, I think the importance of that shouldn't really be underestimated um, and radio's role within that and you know either in times of crisis or getting news out or just being there for people for free and it being reliable and mobile networks i mean yeah we're sort of we're coming up to 5g which is going to be the savior of the internet of things and everything else besides and i'm not sure i can't see a future where mobile could compete with radio in terms of its reliability and that to many broadcast, you know, being able to broadcast to so many people simultaneously and so cost effectively. Mm. I remember hearing James Cridland, I think it was, some years oh, yeah. ago saying that if, I hope I get this right, if the entire audience of Britain's main breakfast show, which I can't remember the name of the show exactly, um, was to move online, it would crash the internet. <laughs> And I think, I mean, I mean I'm not vouching for that as, a, as an accurate statement, but it's an interesting yes, illustration of, very good point. of the limitation, I think, of, of, of online listening. Um, Lynn. I think another thing to consider is what is happening in television. Um, on analog television, we've lived with four uh, free-to-air television channels uh, on the air in South Africa. In the digital domain, once we get to the seven multiplex plan, plan, that makes provision for 140 standard definition channels. So, you know, are you going to sit back and, and wait, or are you going to climb on? And I think with, with radio, if you look at uh, telecommunication and broadcast networks around the world, it is the only um, technology that remains analog. So, you know, it's reached its end of its life from a spectrum point of view that it protects the incumbent broadcasters because no new entrants can enter. Um, and, and these new technologies provide that. So I think, you know, we'll see what they've done in, in other parts of the world, but you've got to 
adapt and you've got to embrace this technology and grow. Okay. Um, I was about to say let's do let's have coffee, but let's have uh, <laughs> two last questions over there. Thank you. It's Mike Lunica from the Media Connection. I think it's good and well when we are saying that we might have 101 radio station and 101 TV station. But the question is, does our economy capable of handling all that? If in the current state of affairs we are already battling to say, how are we going to fund SABC? How are we going to fund community radio? And then having 120 TV stations and uh, as we are also already battling with the community TV stations currently, uh, what, do, what are we saying? For instance, the government is currently saying the, the platform for, for digital migrating, the, the set of box is going to go to the public sector, to the private sector to come into the party. How far are we going? And uh, uh, how, how are all these things going to come on board? They look at the fact that since 2010, we have been migrating, 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 2019 now, in our lip service. Where are we going? Good question. Um, I'll defer to Lynn for some of this, um, but the one point I will make first is, I think the, the importance of going digital is that if radio doesn't innovate, then someone else will, and someone else will take the listeners away. Um, and I think looking at some of the services I mentioned earlier, whether it's things like the Amazon Echo and Google Home or things like Spotify, these guys are spending a lot of money uh, on their services and marketing it. And I think from radio's perspective, if we don't innovate and look at how we can evolve what we do, they're going to come and take our lunch from us. Um, and I think that's an important part that shouldn't be un under underlooked. But on, I might hand over to Lynn to, to comment on some of the other, other points you raised. Yeah, I think... I think with television, um, television is, is, is a proper migration from, from analog to, to digital. The very same spectrum would be used more effectively. I think we can see digital radio, particularly in where South Africa is thinking and some of the other countries. There's, there's no plan for the removal of FM right now. Time will tell and it might... Uh, I've been reading a lot of articles around some of the countries in Europe and I think what's pushing them is, is the, the big reduction in signal distribution costs uh, to get off FM because they, at some point they'll derive quite a big saving. Um, but radio really, uh, as a introduction of digital radio, would be the introduction of basically a new service. But it doesn't say that the incumbent FM broadcasters can't also launch a service on there. Um, but if you want to remain on FM, Nobody's forcing anyone to get across on, onto digital, uh, unlike television. That you don't have an option. You, you need to move. But Mike's question really was, is, can the economy sustain all these extra channels? <laughs> I think the regulator used to do a lot of uh, market research and, and, and studies to look at the sustainability of licensing new players. Um, 
but a lot of the players they've licensed never got off the ground. Um, but the indication of that I, as I gave you of the last ITA that was um, published by the regulator for the three um, secondary market FM, uh, FM frequencies, there were 32 applicants. So, you know, there are people that I have got money that want to, to make there. So, you know, they're doing it at, at risk and hopefully they will succeed. Okay. Thanks. Last question at the back there. At this point, it's not our lunch that's under threat, but our tea. <laughs> um, in the interest of getting us to coffee slash tea, let's have this as the last um, question. Hi, hi yeah, Darren. Um, thanks very much. That's a very, um, very good presentation. Um, I, I don't know if it's, it's just more of an observation. Um, I think Lynn had mentioned, you know, our, t our colleagues in television, their uh, move or migration to, to uh, DTT would allow 150 standard definition services or whatever the case may be. I was under the impression that standard definition was the hindrance of analog television. And one of the, 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 the keen qualities of a digital platform was quality or fidelity. And I didn't see in your presentation, or maybe I missed it, something about fidelity of DAB plus compared to FM, for example. You know, is it much better quality? Uh, can you have a much better audio bit rate, uh, uh, extremely high fidelity sound, as an example? Sure. No, it's a good point, actually, and you're quite right. That should have been in the, in the presentation. So th and that is certainly one of the drivers of moving to digital radio is the quality. Um, the exact quality depends on the level that the, the station transmits at, which obviously impacts how many services you can get per multiplex. But I mean, in the UK, for example, there are classical services that do transmit at very high definition because that, that type of music warrants it. Um, and of course, the other benefit with digital is that it's a lot clearer, so you don't get any of the crackling and breaking up that you do, particularly from DAB Plus, that you get on FM. Um, and I think that clarity, and one, I think one of the stations that I really appreciate it on is on Five Live, which is a talk, talk radio station that covers sports, current affairs, all of that sort of stuff. The difference when you go from their medium wave uh, or even looking at some of the FM stations that do it to the DAB one, is ridiculous. It's so much cleaner. It's so much nicer to listen to. Um, and yeah, for my next presentation, I will add a slide on that. So that's a very good point for next one. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's give Darren a round of applause.